morning, everybody. You have your Bible this morning? Good. Romans chapter 6 is where you need to go. I feel like I need to start with an apology to the people on the radio. Uh, I forgot to turn my microphone off when I, after I read. And last time I did that, it, it, Doug caught it in here, but it went on to the radio. Did that happen again today? No, you got it? Good. Thanks. That would have been bad news because I was letting it rip. I'll be honest. There's some good, there's some good songs we sang this morning. I didn't want to hold back, but I'm not good at all when it comes to singing. Uh, I want to say congratulations to you. Um, this is the first Sunday of the year, and you are here. You're one for one. One for one, you're batting a 1,000. That's pretty good, right? And all those folks who didn't make it today for whatever reason, you're batting a big zero for the year. 0 for 1, right? They'll be here next week, though, right? And you will, too. Keep the streak alive. Last week, Joe preached to you from Romans chapter 6, verses 6 to 7, about our union with Christ in his death to sin. Uh, Joe did a great job. It was interesting to sit in the very back row and listen and participate in worship and not have any, any role of leadership in the day. Uh, it was a good thing. Joe did a good job. Uh, he also got you out really early, and, uh, and that was good. On one hand, it was good, but I heard several people complaining that the lines were especially long when they got to where they were going for lunch, that usually those lines have dwindled by the time, by the time they get out, so maybe it wasn't such, such a blessing after all. Uh, Joe talked about the positional aspect of the passage, and rightly so. As we'll see today, what Paul is doing is he's making transition from the indicative portion of this letter where he explains who we are in Christ, he lays forth theological truths about our position in Christ. He's making transition in this portion of the letter to the imperative portion of the letter where he begins to give the very practical applications of that. He begins to give commands based on the indicatives. And uh, Joe uh, rightly talked last week about most of what was in the text last week was about position. It was about an indicative statement. It was about this is who we are in Christ. Uh, he used a great illustration um, that talks about these two fields um, that, that imagine your life is like two fields. In your old life, you were in one field uh, under the dominion of sin and Satan. You followed his will. You did what he desired. Uh, you were headed for death and destruction. And God, by his grace, my prayer for you is that God, by his grace, has come and he's delivered you out of that field and, in and placed you in his field. He's delivered you out of sin and self under the dominion of Satan, and he's made you alive together with Christ. He's put you in his field under his dominion, under his rule. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you because it is easy and my burden is light, right? He is our master now. I hope you've been placed in that second field. But sometimes in our lives, even though we have positionally been placed in God's field, we are living, as Joe said, pretty close to the wall that divides the two. And our life is still very much influenced by the old master, Satan, the old master, sin, the old master, self. And we need to be careful where we live our life. We need to get away from that wall. I think Joe said at the end, he said, our goal in life needs to be to live as far away from that wall as possible so as not to be influenced by those old things any longer. Um, Paul in this text is talking about position. Joe asks you to consider your position. Are you in Christ or are you still in Adam? Are you under the dominion of sin and Satan, or have you been set free by God's grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Joe asked you not only to uh, consider yourself and your position, but to consider the others around you. Who do you know? 
that is still in Adam? Who do you know that is still living under the dominion of sin and Satan? Who do you know that has not been delivered from that field and placed into God's field? Who do you know who has not been adopted out of that family into Christ's family? Who do you know that you need to pray for? Who do you know that you need to witness to? Who do you know that you need to to love? What peoples of the world do you know of that don't have access to this good news? And you need to send missionaries and support. Who do you know that needs the Lord Jesus Christ? That's a big question. It's a question that we need to consider for this year. Who do I know that's lost and desperate and hopeless without God in this world? Who can I preach to? This week, in the text, we're going to shift back to a discussion still about our union with Christ, but now not about our union with Christ in his death, but about our union with Christ in his resurrection. That's why we sing the songs we did today. We sing about Christ's resurrection, right? It's glorious to think about Christ risen from the grave, trampling over death by death, right? And the response to that is, come awake, come awake, church, come awake. Because Christ has been risen from the dead, we can be raised from the dead. We're going to talk about our union with Christ and his resurrection and in his life to God. There's a positive aspect to Christian living. It's not just that we have died to sin. What you're seeing in the text today is we have been made alive to God. It's not just about death to sin. It's about life to God. And we're going to see the positive aspect of that today in the text. So I want you to read along with me in Romans chapter 6. I'm going to start in verse 1. We're going to study closely verses 8 to 11 today. This is what it says. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead... Through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting your members, the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this day to come and celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The resurrection of those of us who belong to him. God, I pray today that you help us to consider ourselves. to know that and live accordingly, that there are people in this room 
to know today that they are not dead to sin. They are dead in sin. They have not been made alive with Christ. They are dead in their trespasses and sins. I pray that you will show them that today. And you will change that today. That you will raise them from the dead. That you will deliver them from the dominion of sin and Satan and self. And that you will adopt them into your family as your beloved children by grace. As a gift through faith, not works. God, we ask that you would save men and women and boys and girls today. God, that you would receive honor and glory for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Alright, so I've been reading, or we've been reading that broader passage for the last few weeks because we want you to see the whole thing. It's really one big thought and could be one epic sermon, um, but instead of preaching to you for hours and hours, which is not foreign to the Bible, right? Uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, read in there. They would stand up and read the word for hours and hours. The sun would come up and the sun would go down. There's a story in the New Testament about Paul preaching, so much so that a little boy named Eutychus fell asleep and fell out the window. Remember that? We got the windows closed today, so no one will fall asleep and fall out the window. You may fall asleep. We've broken it up into small sections to look at these important truths. We've talked about our union with Christ and his death and burial and his resurrection. Joe looks specifically about our union with Christ and his death. We'll look specifically today at our union with Christ and his resurrection. And then next week, we'll look at the application of all of this. Look what it says in chapter 6, verse 8. He starts out with the word now. And basically what Paul is doing is he's moving on to the next logical part of the argument. If he has talked at length about our union with Christ and his death, now we also need to talk about our union with Christ and his resurrection. Sure, there's repetition here. There's been repetition from the pulpit over the last few weeks. We seem to be going over the same thing every week. And that's important and important that we recognize that. It's important that we admit that, but it's also important that we embrace that because we need repetition on the things that are most important in life. We need repetition so that we hear them clearly, so that we understand them clearly, so that, so that they are emphasized properly. Sometimes it takes repetition to do that, right? You don't just tell your children a lesson one time, do you? No, you tell them 40 times, and then you write a song about it, and you make a poem about it, and you tell them a story about it, right? We say it a hundred different ways. Why? Because lessons are important, and they must be learned, and so we will, we, will, we will have repetition in all of this for the sake of emphasis. Look what he says next. He says, now, if, if we have died with Christ, that little word, if, is a big word. It's not a little word, right? It should cause us to ask a question of ourselves, have I? Have I died with Christ? Have I been buried with him in baptism? Have I been raised with him to walk in newness of life? Has this happened to me? It's basically the question we ask every week when we're here, right? Are you in Christ or not? Have you been saved or not? Does this mean anything to you or not? Are you on the inside of this circle or on the outside of this circle? It's a question we need to wrestle with, especially on this day, this day when the word itself says, consider yourself. Consider yourself. Think about yourself. Count yourself. Look at yourself. Are you dead to sin and alive to God? Or are you dead in your sins and under the wrath of God? Look what he says next. He says, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. This is Paul's way of making transition from his discussion about our union with Christ and his death to his discussion about our union with Christ and his resurrection. But something stands out to me as I read that, and it's the word we. 
He says it three times right there. He says, if we, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. I like that. Right? We're in this together, aren't we? Paul is not talking about some promise, some reward, some gift that is reserved for a, a special isolated few people, the super Christians, the superior Christians, the elite Christians. Those are the ones who have died with Christ and will live with Christ. He's not saying that. He's saying this is for all of us. This is for us together. The collective we of Christianity. We have died with Christ. We believe that we will also live with him, right? We are in this together and we will be a family forever and ever. And that's why it's important that we are a family here and now. We will, we will live together for eternity with Christ as a family. We will not be in heaven isolated, individualistic. We will be in heaven together. And so this is practice for that, right? This is practice for that. We live together now. And we will live together forever. Look at verse 9. He says, If we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death is no longer master over him. I want to talk to you about that word knowing. We've talked about it a few weeks ago, that it's important as Christians that we think rightly about some things. There are some things we need to know, and this is one of them. We need to know about Jesus once for all death and once for all resurrection. Look what he says. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. You believe that, don't you? It's not, as if, it's not as if Jesus died for our sins and was buried and was raised again, only to go through the whole process over and over and over again for the rest of eternity. No, this is a once-for-all deal that Jesus did, was it not? He died once and was raised once, never to die again. A few weeks ago, we talked about Lazarus. Do you remember that? We talked about Lazarus from John chapter 11, and, and I talked about how ridiculous it would be for Lazarus having been raised from the dead and brought out of the tomb to just kind of stand there or, or worse yet, to go back into the tomb? That'd be ridiculous, right? But when we talk about Lazarus, we can't quite equate the resurrection of Lazarus with the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, can we? In fact, we should probably use two different words. We should probably not refer to what happened to Lazarus as resurrection, but as resuscitation, right? Because Lazarus went on to do what again? Died again. He knew what to expect this time, right? Because he'd been through it before. But Lazarus went on to die again. Jesus, however, when he comes out of the grave, he never goes back. Right? That's part of why we read that passage to you a little while ago from Revelation chapter 1. Jesus says, I'm the first and the last, the living one. I was dead. Right? I was dead, but I am alive. And the last word gets me every time when he says, forevermore, forevermore, I am alive. Never to taste death again. And we need to celebrate that as God's people. We need to rejoice over that. That's part of why we get together on Sunday and not Saturday or Tuesday, right? We get together on Sunday to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is alive forevermore, forevermore. Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. And then it says death is no longer master over him. Death is no longer master over him because he beat death. He beat death, and he offers us victory over death. Read on in verse 10. He, be, he continues to explain this. In fact, maybe this is the climax of this whole portion. He says, for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. The death he died, he died to sin. 
He took the penalty of sin, he beat the power of sin, and he dealt with sin decisively on the cross. You need to recognize that. There's not a portion of the work against sin that is undone in the cross, that is left undone by the cross. It's not as if Jesus kind of 90% beat sin on the cross. No, he beat it fully, right? The death he died, he died to sin once for all. That's the other part of it we need to see is that it is once for all. This is huge, and we've got to celebrate this. The once, one, one scholar said, the once for allness of Jesus, of Jesus' death, the once for allness of Jesus' resurrection. That changes everything. Right? We studied Hebrews last quarter in small group Bible study. Did you not rejoice over the fact that we do not see sacrifices offered week in and week out, the same sacrifices over and over again that can only remind us of sin? In fact, this is what it says in Hebrews chapter 10. Every priest, that is every earthly priest, every Old Covenant, Old Testament priest, stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Right? You get that picture? You read the Old Testament, and what what do you see? You see animals dying every day, it seems. Day after day, year after year, animals' blood being spilt, flesh being burnt and offered to God. And they can never take away sin. But listen to the next part of this. It says, and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. I love that. The old covenant priest, he never gets to sit down. He never, ever gets to sit down because his work is never done. Once he offers one sacrifice, it's time to start thinking about the next sacrifice. Once he does one thing, it's time to start thinking about the other thing. But Jesus, when he offers his one sacrifice for all time, what does he do? He sits down. Why does he sit down? Because his work is done. Isn't that what he said? Isn't that what he said on the cross? He didn't say, it's almost done. I got 90% of it taken care of. What did he say? He said, it's finished. It's finished. The work is done. Jesus offers himself once for all. This glorious truth that we must celebrate. Look what he says. He says, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. The life he lives, he lives to God. For God's glory, for his praise, for his renown. Jesus lives forevermore to glorify his Father And we, based on this text, are united with him in both his death to sin that Joe talked about last week and his life to God. We are united with him in both of those things. It's as if if we were wrapped up in him when he died to sin and when he rose again. We are counted in him. We are part of his family. Remember we talked about that with Adam? How, how maybe we weren't there in the garden when Adam sinned, but we were in Adam when he sinned, and we are counted as, as his family, and we are counted guilty. We receive as an inheritance from him guilt and sinfulness. Do you remember all of this? In the same way, we are counted with Christ. If we believe in him, we are counted with Christ, and we receive from him life and hope and forgiveness and justification. We are united with him in his death to sin and his life to God. Read on. This next verse is incredible. In verse 11 it says, even so consider yourselves to be dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. What he's doing here is he's beginning the transition from the indicative to the imperative from theology to commandment. 
the commandments are always based on the theology. Our practice is always based on our position. It cannot work the other way. He doesn't give us, God doesn't give us a list of rules and commands to follow so that we earn ourselves a position. That's not the gospel. That's a, that's a heresy. That's a lie from hell that we could somehow do a bunch of things in order to earn a position. The gospel goes like this. God, by his grace, gives us a position, grants us a position, makes us his children, not by working, but by believing, by trusting in him. He gives us the position, and then from the position, we live out the commands. That's the way it's always worked, right? When, when God brought his children out of Egypt, he didn't first give them commandments, did he? He didn't say, all right, here are the Ten Commandments. While you're still in Egypt, here are the Ten Commandments. And if you keep these Ten Commandments, I'll bring you out of Egypt. I'll deliver you from the oppression, from the slavery. Is that the way it worked? No, he said, I'm going to bring you out. I'm going to bring you out because I love you. I'm going to bring you out as a gift of grace. I'm going to bring you out even though you don't deserve it. And I'm going to give you this freedom. And then as free people, he gives them commands. He shows them what it looks like to live as a free person. And that's exactly what Paul is teaching us here in Romans, that God has brought us out. He's made us free people, not because we deserve it or because we did anything, but by his grace, he has brought us out and made us free people. And now he's going to transition to show us what it looks like to live as a free person, what it looks like to live as one who has been delivered, what it looks like to live to walk in newness of life, to use Paul like Paul's language. He's going to explain to us what that looks like, and that's important, right? Aren't you thankful he explained that to you and didn't just say, all right, you're a new person, figure it out, figure it out what it looks like to follow after Jesus. No, he's told us, and it's so important. Look what he says. He says, even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin. And I love this. As he makes transition into the commands, he says, it's got to start here. It's got to start here. It's not going to start with a list of rules. And we talked about this about a month ago. It's not going to start with a list of rules that you check off. This is going to start up here. You need to know something. If you're going to walk in newness of life, you need to know something. He says, consider yourself. Reckon, think, count. Understand something about yourself. Know something about yourself. If you are in Christ, if you belong to him, know this about yourself. You are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We need to know that. Paul wants to make sure that we know that. He says, consider yourselves. One scholar said, we are not commanded to become dead to sin and alive to God. These are presupposed. If you are a child of God, if you have been saved by God's grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And you need to know that about yourself. You need to consider that. Another thing to notice in this verse is that the verb consider is present tense. It's present tense, and that's highly significant because it means it's something we need to do every day. It means it's something we need to be constantly about in our Christian life, considering that I am dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. I need to remember that every morning when I wake up, that I don't live in that old field. I don't live in that old field ruled by sin and Satan and self. I have been transferred. I have been adopted into a new field. I am dead to that old master, and I am alive to God in Christ Jesus. I need to remind myself about that all the time because oftentimes in my life it doesn't feel like that. Sometimes in my life it feels like I'm still under the mastery of sin and Satan and self, but I'm not. The truth of the matter is I'm not if I belong to Jesus Christ. I have been crucified. 
I have died to sin and been made alive with Christ to live for God. Does this make sense to you? We need to know this. Paul says we must understand this. We must recognize this. This happens in our heads. Right thinking will lead to right living. He says, consider yourselves to be, number one, dead to sin. Know that it is no longer master over you. Consider yourselves, number two, to be alive to God. To be alive to God. Not just dead to sin, but but this new life in you. A new heart and new desires and new will. And notice also he says, to be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the mediator of all of this. This death to sin and this life to God does not happen apart from Jesus Christ. It does not happen just through the church. It doesn't happen uh, biologically from your family. It only happens through Jesus Christ. One scholar I was reading used a great illustration about slavery to talk about this, about how important it is to consider ourselves, to know that we are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. He said this, take the case of those poor slaves in the United States of America about 100 years ago. There, there they were in a condition of slavery, and then the Civil War came, and as a result of that war, slavery was abolished in the United States. But what had, what had actually happened? All slaves, young and old, were given their freedom. But many of the older ones who had endured long years of servitude found it very difficult to understand their new status. Catch that? They were given freedom. But because they had been enslaved for so long, they had a hard time understanding that. They had heard the announcement that slavery was abolished and that they were free, but hundreds, not to say thousands of times in their lives and experiences after this, many of them did not realize it. And when they saw their old master coming near them, they began to quake and to tremble and to wonder whether they were going to be sold. You see the parallel here? They had been set free, but because they had lived under that slavery for so long, even when they saw the old master, even though they were indeed free, they began to quake and tremble and to wonder whether they were going to be sold. He says, you can still be a slave experientially, experientially, even when you are no longer a slave legally. Whatever you may feel, whatever your experience may be, God tells us here through his word that if we are in Christ, we are no longer in Adam. We are no longer under the reign and rule of sin. And if we fall into sin, as we often do, it is simply because I don't realize who I am. So he says here, realize it and reckon it. Does this make sense to you? I remember hearing when I was a college student, John Piper preaching to a group of college students, and he said the most incredible thing. He he said, if you are in Christ... You can say no to sin. It is not the master over you anymore. You can say no to temptation. You can resist. You will not always, but you can, and that changes everything, right? So when temptation comes my way, not only do I look to him who made an end of all my sin, I recognize he's made an end of it. And say to the tempter, you're no longer master over me. I don't have to obey you anymore, and we can say no. Next week, we'll talk about more of the practical applications of all this, imperative commands. But listen, if you don't understand this in your head, if you haven't reckoned this in your own mind, if you haven't come to the place where you know, I am dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus, no list of commands is going to help you at all. No list of of applications is going to do you any good unless you know that you have died to sin and been made alive to God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So application number one, 
is consider yourself. Consider yourself. Just like the text says, consider yourself. Ask, are you in Christ? Have you been saved? Am I in Christ? Have I been saved? If not, if if you honestly have to answer that question, no, I'm lost. I'm dead in my trespasses and sins. If you can say that today, that may be a kind of good sign. If you come to the place where you recognize you're lost and desperate and hopeless, that may be a kind of good sign. Because it's only when that happens that God can change your life. That He can change. It's only when you know you need a Savior that you receive a Savior. So maybe you're here today and you recognize, I'm a, I'm a mess. I'm undone. Oh, woe is me. My encouragement, my begging of you today is that you would repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ and be saved. That today would be the day that you are transferred from the old field to the new field. Today would be the day when you die to sin and are raised to walk in newness of life. Repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you say, I am in Christ and I have been saved, you need to remember that. You need to remember this truth. You need to consider yourselves to be dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. When temptation comes your way, when that old oppressor, the old tyrant tries to control you, you're dead to sin. You're alive to God. You say to him, I'm dead to you. There's a great song that Lecrae sings. Uh, it's this, it's this uh, like, it's, it's, they're, they're both Lecrae, but it's like Lecrae talking to Lecrae and about his old life and his old man. The old life is trying to tempt him and pull him back into those things. And at one point he says to the old man, I am dead to you. I am dead to you. And we need, to, we need to say that more often. Maybe every morning when we wake up, say to the devil, I am dead to you. Say to sin, I am dead to you and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And fight from that position. Fight from, from that truth. He says, I'm dead to you and you are no longer master over me. You need to remember that. You need to consider that that's who you are. One scholar I was reading asked this question. He said, can a married woman live as though she were still single? This is an interesting question. Can a married woman live as though she were still single? And this is what he says. Well, yes, I suppose she could. It's not impossible. But let her remember who she is. The married woman who has a desire to live as a single woman, let her remember who she is. Let her feel her wedding ring, the symbol of her new life of union with her husband, and she will want to live accordingly. He says the the, the married woman who's tempted to live that old way let her remember who she is. He goes on and says, can a born-again Christian live as though he were still in his sins? Well, yes, I suppose they could, at least for a little while. It's not impossible. But let them remember who they are. Let them recall their baptism, the symbol of their new life of union with Christ, and live accordingly. That's gold. When you are tempted to live like the old way, when you are tempted to live like you have not been saved, you need to remember who you are. You may even need to remember your baptism. Maybe this would be a helpful little exercise the next time temptation comes your way. Is try to rewind and put yourself back in that baptistry. When you stood up in front of the world and said, I believe in Jesus and I want to follow him. And you went through this ritual symbolizing the death to sin and the resurrection to new life. And probably a preacher said, raised to walk in newness of life. And then you left that water to live your new life out. Maybe you need to remember that day next time temptation comes your way. That day you stood in front of people and said, I'm going to live out this new life. 
and you fight against that temptation from that perspective, then you need to remember the cross and the tomb next time temptation comes your way. That in Christ you have died to sin and in Christ you have been raised to walk in newness of life. When we talk about this process of sanctification, which is the section we're getting into, sometimes we phrase it like this. Be who you are. Be who you are. God has made you a new creation. He has made you into something entirely new. Be that new person. I saw it phrased the other way this week for the very first time. Don't be who you are not. How can we who died to sin still live in it, Paul says. Don't be who you are not. You are not a slave to sin and Satan and self any longer. You have died to sin and been raised to walk in newness of life. Don't be who you are not. So consider yourself and remember who you are. Second application is to consider your neighbor. And I want us to define neighbor like Jesus defines neighbor. Not just the person who lives next door to you, but everyone. When Jesus tells the story about the Good Samaritan, he is defining for his followers, who is my neighbor? And basically he says everyone. Not just the people who look like you or sound like you or live near you. Everyone is your neighbor. And you have neighbors who are lost. You have neighbors who are under the dominion of sin and Satan. You have neighbors who are without hope, without God in the world. But listen, all of that can change. All of that can change. And we know that all of that can change because it changed for you, right? We know that this neighbor of yours who is lost right now can be saved because you've been saved. You were lost and now you're found. You were blind and now you see. Your neighbor who is lost and blind can also be found and see. It can change for them because it changed for you. So the question is, will you pray for your neighbor? Will you consider, think about your neighbor and see them? See them as lost and hopeless and without God in the world. And will you pray for them? We've got a list on, on both sides of the Lord's Supper table here. A list of names. People you wrote down who are in your life who you know are lost. Who you know if nothing changes they will go to hell because they're rejecting Christ. Will you pray for those people? Will you pray for the billions of people who are just as lost and have never even had the chance to hear that they could be saved? Billions of people on this planet who are, who are doomed, who are hopeless, who are in their sin, under the dominion of sin and Satan, and haven't even heard that Jesus can rescue them. Will you pray for them? Will you pray that God will send workers into his harvest? Will you pray? Will you go? When you think about your neighbors who are lost and the nations who are lost, will you go? Will you walk across the street and share the good news with your neighbor? Will you invite someone to your house for a meal or share a cup of coffee with them and tell them about the glorious grace of God that changed your life? Tell them about how you were redeemed and rescued? Will you go? Will you, tell, will you go on a trip outside of Harrisburg to tell people that Jesus saves? Will you go to a place where no one's saying that and tell them that Jesus saves? Will you pray? Will you go? Will you sin? You guys gave like crazy to Lottie Moon this year, and I'm proud of you for that. It's an important part of the mission. Some of us cannot go, but we can sin. We can hold the rope for those who are going. Part of that involves money. Part of that involves time. When I consider my neighbors, I need to be moved to action. When I consider the lostness and the hopelessness of my neighbors, it needs to move me to action, not just tears, action. To pray, to go, to sin. You have neighbors who are lost, and you also have neighbors who need to reach.
consider their standing. They need to consider once again who they are. If you have a neighbor, a friend, maybe even somebody in this room who is struggling, who is struggling with sin, who is hearing that old master and who is obeying that old master, and you need to remind them they are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You need to remind them that they are dead to sin and alive to God. You need to remind them, like John Piper reminded that crowd of college students, that you can say no. You can say no to that temptation. You can resist because you are dead to sin and alive to God. You may need to come alongside someone and remind them that that is the case. You may need to come alongside someone and say, listen, you are living, and it looks like you're still in that old field. I know you claim to be in the new field, but your life looks like you're still living over there. And we need to get this right, either by repentance and faith or repentance and faith. <laughs> either brand new repentance and faith or renewed repentance and faith. But we cannot go on like this. How can we who died to sin still live in it? If you have a neighbor who needs you, to come alongside, to teach, to help, and assist. Graciously, lovingly, help them. Let's stand together and pray. God, thank you for time together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the way you teach us in your word. Help us to consider ourselves today. God, for those people who are in this room who are lost and dead and hopeless, Show them that today. Show them their great need for a Savior. Show them that they deserve your wrath and judgment for all of eternity. Show them that you love them anyway and that you sent your son to die in their place. And he did die for them and he rose again for them. And he alone can rescue. He alone can save. God, I pray that you show them that and that their response would be the only proper response to repent of sins turn away from sins, and to trust, to believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. God, I pray that you will make that to be so today by your power and by your grace and always for your glory. And I pray for your people today, that we would consider ourselves, that you would remind us that we are dead to sin and alive to you in Christ Jesus, and that we would live accordingly that you would take us back to our baptism, that you would take us back to our conversion, that you would remind us that life has changed, that we have been transformed, that we have been renewed, that we have been delivered and redeemed, that Satan and sin and self are no longer master over us. Help us to fight temptation, to fight sin with that truth. Help us to consider our neighbors, those who are lost. God, teach us to pray and give and go. And teach us to help our brothers and sisters who are struggling to come alongside and remind them that if they are in Christ, they're dead to sin and alive to you and to live accordingly. Help us to lovingly confront, challenge, and help one another. For your glory, in Christ's name we pray.